right. Hello, Agnes. Thank you so much for joining me here on another episode of The Makeup Historian. I'm really excited to talk to you today because for once, um, an episode is actually about cosmetic history. <laughs> so like, um, I don't know how familiar you are with the show, but uh, not every episode is about cosmetic history. It's more so research focused and an oral history podcast, but we had a chance to touch base a few months ago about a project that you were working on, which is why I asked you to be here on the show. So before we get started, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about your academic background, where you're at school, and what you're focusing in on? Uh, yeah, of course. So uh, I'm in my final year at the University of Toronto Scarborough location. I have been studying journalism for the past four years. And what really interested me in the whole cosmetic history assignment that we'd done together last semester was that I had just always in general had a very big interest in makeup, cosmetics, the whole industry, and I never really understood why it was so focused towards women. And so it was just agreed upon in society that this is something that women are, you know, like we're expected to have knowledge and expected to be doing makeup, cosmetics, different things. So to me, it was more of of a question that was in my head for a very long time and I just needed to find out more. And I was given the opportunity to do this research project um, where I came across your uh, podcast online, The Makeup Historian. So that was sort of a combination of both of the things that I was really interested in looking at for the assignment. And I absolutely love that. I think that's such a fascinating component of cosmetic history. And one of the things like you had a chance to send me your final project. And I just absolutely loved seeing all the different ways that you attacked that central research question. So who were, um, I don't remember everyone's names. I remember seeing them in your presentation, but you interviewed some really interesting people to help you answer that question. So do you mind telling us who you interviewed and why you chose them to like, what did they bring to your project? Of course. So I uh, interviewed, um, her name was Sophia, Sophia DeFolvis. She uh, currently is working at an art gallery. Um, she is at the OCAD. So that's the Ontario Community of um, Arts. And so she, her major is in uh, visual arts. So painting, painting and drawing, I think is the name of her program. And so uh, she has a great idea of um, historically how, how art manifests. So um, she just had a very good general knowledge of um, art in general and specifically in ancient Egypt. So we were looking at how spiritually it was, it was as much spiritual as it was uh, for aesthetic purposes. So that was really important um, in ancient civilizations. That's sort of the origins of makeup and, and where it began. Um, and I also wanted to take a sort of biological look at why Maybe there's a scientific explanation as to why women are being sort of impacted more by the makeup and cosmetic industry. So I spoke to Shahab Eid. He is um, a PhD candidate in biology and he has his um, degree in neuroscience as well. So um, there we sort of looked at sort of the nitty gritty, the hormones and the biology and sort of how um, evolution has created this, this divide in between men and women and why, why women have had more of a difficult time throughout history in becoming more independent. And, you know, we, we found some answers there as to why makeup has been 
uh, something targeted towards women. And of course, I spoke to you where we talked a lot about history, society, and how sort of in current day, we're seeing a lot of changes as well in makeup. So we talked a little bit about how it's changing uh, in times of COVID and just in general throughout history, how it's been um, in society specifically towards women. Yeah. So after you had all your research completed, why, like to you, why do you think we should study cosmetic history? Because I mean, you and I have a passion for this and we're interested in it, but in academia, in a very generalized sense, it isn't exactly something that you specialize in. Like you don't, for, for like my field, you don't get a master's degree in history or a PhD in history with an emphasis in cosmetics. That isn't exactly a thing just yet. So, and that's, that's something that I loved about your project so much is I think it helps get us towards that, that ultimate goal of establishing cosmetic history as, as a true subfield. So in your opinion, why do you think we should study it? I think we should study it for the same reasons we study any field. Um, it is a part of history and it's, it's literally physically ingrained in society specifically for women. And I think we've come such a long way from you know, how women have been seen in history and sort of oppressed. And it's only very recent that we can put on a timeline of, okay, like where women entered the working field and where in some countries women have just gotten the rights to drive or vote, things like that. So it's not, you know, like it's not as much just a superficial thing like we're putting on makeup. It's actually something that we can look at on a historical timeline and see how things were developing in society at that time. I love that. I love it. And this is something too, it, it, um, it complements a lot of things that I've talked to some other people about in, in the history field is that I think, and something that I think your project was starting to really suggest as well, is that cosmetic history can be a lens to understand the more intimate aspects of everyday life. Those things that we don't always, uh, consciously preserve or maybe don't want to preserve that maybe we're trying to hide at the time. So I loved that you were looking at the topic like through a biological lens, anthropological, and um, because then it started to prompt those other discussions about like the hormones and fertility and um, women's place within society, like socioeconomic status. It was fascinating and I, I love that. So um, and, and in addition to, I think what we're living through and a part of like how we were able to find each other, I think the technological digital revolution, in addition, like kind of being coupled with the COVID-19 pandemic has amplified that phenomenon even more of us really using this to understand those intimate aspects and, and preserve those intimate aspects of everyday life in a, in a better way than we have before. So in your opinion, how do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has influenced the cosmetic industry in general? Which I know is a very broad question, but <laughs> what what's your first take at that? <laughs> okay, first and foremost, I think masks have been sort of one of the main factors that go into cosmetics. So mm -hmm. I know a whole group of women who just you know, you wear a mask, so you're actually masking your face. And that sort of 
you know, gives you a break from having to wear makeup or so they feel this way that you don't have to, or it gives you an excuse not to, which isn't ideal. It's not, we should never feel as though we have to cover our face without makeup. Um, but that's just something that even I felt personally in, in, uh, in Ontario and in the GTA, at least we, we still have um, the mask mandate for at least another week. Personally, it's, it's just weird for me to, to feel like I'm showing my face to public again when, when it's going to come off. But I feel for a lot of women, it's going to stick. And, you know, like it was a super easy way. Like if you want to just run out of the house, you're not wearing makeup. It's no big deal. No one can see your face. Um, but for the actual sort of cosmetic industry, like there's been, first of all, a decline in lipstick sales. That's, you know, no one can see your lips. No one's wearing lipstick. But there's yeah. also been a significant increase in plastic surgery. So um, I'll reference a CBC article that I was just looking into. Um, there have been so many women who are who now have this opportunity. We're staying home. We're not going to work or we're working from home, doing school from home. No one can see swelling if you get plastic surgery on your face, lip injections, or there was even a um, the talk about Zoom. So as you're having Zoom calls with your, your workplace, your school, you're more focused on the little corner image of yourself than the actual <laughs> focus of the meeting. And, and that's actually driven a lot of people to get um, Botox, like injectables, because they're seeing, you know, they're seeing these wrinkles and they don't like it. And it's, it's just this whole this whole deal where plastic surgery has gone up and there's also been a more focus on skincare I'm noticing than makeup. Um, it's just that we're going out less, we're not showing our entire face to the public or you know we're working from home, there's no real need. Not that there ever should be, but there, there's less of a need to be wearing as much makeup. Mm -hmm. Well, two things. I can testify to the plastic surgery part that you were talking about. I haven't had plastic surgery, but I did have Botox for the first time during the pandemic. And um, even did like the, the cool sculpting, like on the, the chin and the, you know, the lady who did the procedure, she was like, Oh, well you have the mask. It's okay. Like no one can see. And I'm like, that's so you're right on with that. <laughs> um, and then you also mentioned something a moment ago where you were talking about how, like, there was almost this, I feel like, and I feel this too. It's kind of like now that society is starting to get back up and running, we almost feel a little bit like, I don't want the world to see me without my makeup and like the mask, it was kind of guarding. But I think it's like those types of little nuances. I think that's what scholars need to kind of focus in on. Like, why do women feel that need? Why do they have anxiety with showing their, their real skin? And then also, like you said too, um, with the Zoom calls, that's a huge thing. And you're also right with that, like people focus in on how they look. And then um, I can also add to that with like being on, like doing a visual podcast or being a guest on a podcast, that was not something that I was used to before the pandemic. So it definitely did make me much more aware of like, how do I look? Am I being presented okay? And, you know, take the time to fix little things. And then lastly, I'm curious about your, your input on this as a, as a female scholar as well. This is something that I've noticed within academia, and I'm, I feel like this is probably something that women experience no matter what their field is, but especially with scholars being much more public, like kind of public figures, 
I'm noticing a phenomenon that when, well, it's not a new phenomenon, but it's just a little bit more in our face now, um, that when people disagree with something a woman says, the first thing they usually attack is her appearance to discredit her. And that, like when you mentioned that about the kind of anxiety, that was what stood out to me because I've experienced that. You know, when people don't like what I say, they they kind of come at your appearance. So I'm curious if you have noticed that or if you've experienced that too. Unfortunately, I have. It's, you know, it's, I feel as though if you do show an interest in, let's just say anything, let's say cosmetics, but this can apply to fashion, to whatever it is that you're interested in, it sort of almost discredits it. Like, oh, how can you be, let's say you're in the sciences, how can you be so interested in biology and you're worried about your silly little makeup? Like that's a kind of, it, it's as though we can't have it both ways. Like they don't really correlate, but, or even like just, I don't know if this is even specific to women, but just having interests other than than whatever your scholarly field is, it's almost, yeah, like you said, it discredits, and maybe it is maybe more specific to women, but yeah, like having interest in, in fields other than what you're studying might be a reason for someone to discredit you, whether or not they agree with, with what you're saying. Yeah. And it's, I, I think it's important to bring awareness to that because I think it could be, it could deter other young women from continuing on in academia. It's nerve wracking enough to do an interview, to be a guest for an interview, to do any type of research is, is nerve wracking. And I've, and I've noticed that every level you go up, the number of women goes down. And I think that's one of the main contributing factors because, you know, so many things in regards to your appearance we don't have control over. And then that's where I think there's that gravitation towards cosmetics. That is something you do have control over and you can have a little bit more agency with. So I think that's, it's like, it's a, it's a tool, but then it's also sad that it has to be used as a tool in academia for women. So, and, and really, I mean, I just bring that up because it was, I was thinking about our prior conversation and then the questions I sent you. And I don't necessarily have like, the answer yet, but I do think it's important to document that this is something that women are feeling and that there is a connection to cosmetic history. Um, also, in your final presentation, you talked a lot about how like digital technology was impacting the cosmetic industry. What were your, your findings with that? Right. So we have access to the internet. We can see anything in seconds on our phones. So if we're looking at it, very biological sort of reproduction uh, system here, back way before internet, back when, you know, we were just interacting with people that are within our, our general geographic communities, there isn't as much uh, competition, let's say, between, you know, who's, who's attracted to who and how you're going to end up with other people based on your appearance. But now there's, you can see anybody and everybody online. And not only besides the whole editing and not only is it not always something real that you're seeing, it, it can be edited, it can be, you know, people can lie about having plastic surgery. It's not really a concrete truth of what you're seeing online, but it's just the competition has, has grown to 
from your little tiny community to the entire world that you're now able to see on your Instagram, on your Facebook, wherever you're, wherever you're using social media. But it's really hard to tell, again, like if you're, what you're even seeing is true. So there's a lot of expectations for women to look a certain way or, you know, you'll see perfect skin and you'll look at yourself and think, okay, well, I don't have skin like that, but that's not a real image that you're seeing. So that's another thing that's really sort of just adds to the pressure of, of having of people wanting to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's such an excellent explanation. And um, actually not too long after we had our talk, I was the, the kit magazine reached out to me and I had some questions about like, uh, some new trends that I thought was interesting because we talked like a lot about ancient uh, cosmetic history as well. And in the grand scheme of things, there's definitely evidence that suggests red lipstick, black eyeliner, and then a painted white face have been predominant cosmetic trends, not in a variety of different countries, you know, despite like changes in government or religion. But this, the, um, the editor for the the beauty editor reached out and she had a question that I thought was very interesting. And I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity to ask you about this because she wanted to know more about why the glowy skin trend was so attractive right now. Like, was it because of COVID? Is there biological things to it? So in our conversation, it was, it was kind of similar to ours. Like we were working through those ideas and didn't like we could look at it through different lenses. So I thought I would throw it out to you, especially since you've uh, continued with your research too. Like why now? Why, why is the glowy skin so like such a big thing? And you also mentioned skincare too, that now there's a much more of an emphasis on skincare rather than like really dolling up. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Um, I'll say that healthy looking glowing skin has always been something that everyone desires of course but it is true that recently we are seeing more emphasis on sort of glowy like this dewy look rather than a super matte finish like we saw maybe I don't know eight ten years ago mm-hmm. um in my research personally what I found is that a lot of a lot of what we do in our makeup is actually to subconsciously we're not we're not realizing as we're doing it, but some of the things that we do are actually showing, you know, signs of fertility, like um, in, in women's cycles during different points of our cycles, we're seeing sometimes we have more uh, progesterone in our levels. So, you know, we look a certain way, we have more blush to our face, there's more blood flowing. So certain things do in a, on a biological level, make us look more uh, fertile and hence more attractive maybe we don't really notice it like I don't see your cheeks and think wow you're so fertile like I you know it's not it's not something that we're we're noticing on a on an everyday level but unconsciously like if we if we really break down certain things and look at you know a healthy woman healthy skin we think that is someone that you'd want to reproduce with because she's going to have healthy offspring and so on so this whole less makeup maybe more skincare focus is reflecting this this reproductive ideas, but it's it's hard to say because it is such a personal choice for everyone, right? Like it's skincare, makeup, it's it's very much what you're comfortable with, what works for you. So, but in terms of trends, yeah, this is definitely something we're seeing. And 
I mean, they're always changing. So it's really hard to say, but this this is a good reason why we should look into these things and, and get more sort of information. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, and also, I think this is a, a good way, a unique and creative way to really help preserve women's voice. Because like your whole project was mentioning, there really is that a big connection between women and cosmetics and that's longstanding. But um, I think this is a way that scholars from all different fields can help bring women's voice back into the textbooks, back into the classroom and show the diversity of thought amongst women through cosmetic history. It's a kind of a unique way, but it's, I think it, I think it actually really does help. And uh, as I mentioned to you too, when we had a chance to talk, a project that I'm, I've been working on now for a few years and then COVID really threw it off, but I've been trying to, um, establish and build the Museum of Cosmetic History. So when I first talked to you, I was in the midst of trying to figure out debut exhibits. And I, I was curious what you thought would be like some good exhibits for the Museum of Cosmetic History, maybe not debut, uh, or just ones that you would love to see in the future, you know, because you were looking at it through such a different lens than I was. And I want to make sure that it's not just you know, that we have different ideas contributing to the exhibits. Right, so something that I was personally very interested in in my own research was what the industry is saying that women should be looking like, like what, what we're told is attractive. So um, many things I was noticing, like even from advertisements from the 40s, 50s, 60s, it was, uh, glowing hair and glowing skin and things like this like and it does change so you know at one point it was thin eyebrows those were all the rage now it's thick eyebrows so these industries are changing what women should be looking like throughout the year so I think it'd be interesting to see sort of different examples different advertisements on sort of like a historical timeline like what how women are supposed to be keeping up with decades but decade by decade like it's just constantly changing and it'd be really interesting to see how it's changing and what is being expected of women mm. and, um, yeah. yeah no and and that makes me uh think about something we that was in your final presentation um this relationship between a, a very intimate relationship between media and cosmetic trends and how if them if it's you know if it's on tv if it's on social media just how much of an impact that really has on the industry which then has an impact on on women um for example too like you mentioned the eyebrow thing as of late it's been more natural fuller eyebrows and then the uh pamela anderson and and you know thing came out on Hulu and I think it was Hulu. <laughs> and then there was a, a TikTok filter where it was like her makeup. And then now within the past few weeks, there's been more and more people going back to the thin eyebrow look because, and it's like, it's so connected to media and the entertainment industry, um, digital technology. And I am like fascinated by how quickly that trend was implemented because I don't want to date myself too much, but like I was, when I was working in the makeup industry, it was when YouTube and Instagram were just getting started. So these trends were not happening as fast. And that to me as a historian, that's really 
kind of weird that just have one filter, one TV show, and then millions of people start changing something about their appearance. So those like, that's kind of where I think the conversation starts and where I think different scholars can help. If like we attack it from different, you know, the interdisciplinary approach, then we can really start to understand those, those deeper like fears and anxieties or desires of a civilization that don't always make it to the textbooks. <laughs> so I'll, I will add to what you just said though, about, you know, how media is really impacting the ways that women want to present themselves just based on what we're seeing on, on TV. Um, now for Gen Z millennial, it's TikTok is all the rage, of course. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's super interesting how, are you familiar with the show uh, Euphoria from HBO? Yes, I okay. actually got so, caught up for once. I'm notoriously bad at being behind <laughs> on shows. <laughs> right, so as as that show becomes more popular, we're seeing these these makeup looks that, you know, are very specific to this show. It's like rhinestones on your eyes and and these sort of very colorful bright eyeshadow looks, which we haven't really seen prior to this, this show. So it's it's almost ever changing and it's it's becoming impossible to keep up with these trends. And so it just to me like the most interesting thing would be seeing like a timeline of how things are progressing and you know how how we're keeping up, like how a few years ago it was the Kylie Jenner lip kits and matte lips and overline lips were all the rage. And now it's like a super soft, glossy glow kind of look. So mm-hmm. it's it's really fun to experiment and try different things with makeup. It's it washes off, it's harmless, but it can become well, sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. It becomes more harmful when it's when it's sort of permanent, like this rise in and even like the cosmetic surgery that we talked about before. So it's it's really easy to go down that hole and and want to look like what you're seeing online on TV and the media, but it's it's just not realistic with how quickly things are changing. Yeah, that's very true. And I think there's such a fine line with cosmetics and then cosmetic surgery. And even going back to what we mentioned earlier, like as a I'm I don't I don't think I'm super old, but sometimes I feel old because of the pressure toward on on women and academia. And it's funny, like I even catch myself sometimes being like, you know, I don't need that. It's okay. Like I'm still, but you you still have the pressure and it's like I it's just, I don't know. It's, I wish there wasn't that pressure. And I think COVID in a weird way may have actually helped lift that because I'm noticing like, even with my things that I do, like, I'm like, I don't necessarily need that to prove that I am credible or that, you know, I can be taken seriously because I just showed myself throughout the pandemic, how I didn't need to get dolled up and I still got all sorts of stuff done. And you know, I think it's just kind of lifting this veil and giving women a lot of agency back in the industry. And then something you were mentioning about like the show Euphoria too, it's, it's, I think it's really cool how like, there's almost this mix of, we want those traditional trends that are kind of highlighting fertility, sexuality, but then there's also, it's simultaneously being mixed with these trends that really don't have anything to do with biology, fertility, sexuality. It's just because it's fun. And it's because that woman wants to wear that. You don't necessarily need graphic eyeliner and rhinestones to like attract a mate. 
you do it because you like it. And that's, I think that's actually a pretty recent phenomenon in cosmetic history where women are saying, I'm going to wear this specific trend because I want to, and not because I feel the need to reproduce. (laughs) So it's, it's, I think there's kind of been like this, um, this, this change that has been prompted by the pandemic in a weird way. So I don't know if you feel the same way. Something you mentioned about the whole age thing is that we're, we're sort of getting younger and younger. Like we're seeing 12 year olds looking 16, 16 year olds looking 20. And it's, it's sort of impacting girls at a far younger age than necessary. And I came across something like you should start getting preventative Botox when you're 20. And like that is far, far <laughs> too soon. Or you should start using eye cream before you even hit 20 to prevent any sort of signs of aging. And I just, like, if you think about it, it's a little bit ridiculous, but at the same time, like, these are the things, this is why this was such an important question to me is why, why are we being told that we need to fix ourselves in these sorts of ways? And where men are not like under this type of pressure, like women's products even are so specific to like even eye cream, you put it on this one little tiny place on your face. Meanwhile, men, we have like five in one products that just get the job done and they're fine. So yeah. <laughs> it's just this sort of, it's a lot of pressure and, you know, it's, it can be very overwhelming, especially if you don't really have a strong sense in, in what you want. If you're just sort of basing off of what you're seeing in the media, it can be super overwhelming. And especially for younger girls, it's, it's damaging seeing yeah. these images. It can be really damaging. There's so much on, on women. And I remember something we talked about too, that historically speaking, the female body really has been perceived as communal property throughout different times in history, different nations. It's, um, and that's, that's always really surprised me. And I think that's so, especially like for, for example, in America, it's like, I think that's so deeply tied to the history of industrialization, urbanization, the rise of consumerism, and just like that, that relationship where unfortunately, because of that, there's been this underlying trend of viewing women as a commodity. And, and like, and I think that's why there's so much of a, it's one of the ultimate blemishes, I think, of cosmetic history, but it's you kind of taking back that, that industry to reveal like the good and bad parts of women's history and not shy away from it for the sake of, of learning. But it is, it's so like, that's, that's why I love this topic because we get into all of these weird things by just having cosmetics be like this thread that connects all of these different civilizations and and women and men who have you know lived before us so thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule I know you're really busy and um, I just I love that we were able to find each other and you know tag team and, and continue with the research and if you ever like continue on with it you are always welcome here I would love to hear how your your research is going and any new developments so thank you very much course thank you for sharing with me when I had this big project last semester (laughs) of course yeah I loved it thank you